bit of a scratchy throat tonight because this weekend, out of three daughters, we had five soccer games. Um, six if you include Samara's indoor game that she couldn't make because she had an outdoor game at the same time. And it's just crazy times right now in the Eldritch home. Um, Friday night, we also hosted uh, our, our parents on the either side. Um, and it seems like this coming week, we have commitments every night of the week. And what's crazy about all this is that as I talk to many of you and listen to what's going on in your lives, it's not that abnormal <laughs> to be busy. Uh, I'm not saying it's healthy. It sounds a little crazy, but it is kind of our lives these days. Um, as I talk to people, I find a lot of us overextended, committed. We are a people on the move. And it's just awesome that we happen to be in Mark's gospel right now in this series walking through the gospel of Mark because I think of any of the gospels, Mark has something good to say to us who are a people on the move. One of Mark's favorite adjectives in the gospel is immediately. He says it more than anybody else in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. It's Mark's gospel where we hear this adjective, immediately, immediately, immediately. And the way Mark tells the story of Jesus, it's fast-paced, it's action-packed, and yet it consistently calls us to this substantial place of profound reflection and slowing down in the midst of busyness. Mark's gospel may be fast-paced, but it proclaims a reality that invites us to reconsider what we think we know about life and what's important in life. This evening, we're gonna encounter a story that's definitely set in a different time and place, but it hits us deep in that emotional tension that a lot of us feel when life is going 100 miles an hour and you feel the anxiety and stress of too much to do in too little time? Does anyone relate to that? Yes, I see a hand in the back. Um, yes, and, and I think that this passage has something to say to us and how we can find genuine peace in the midst of that. So. Let me just set the scene in case you're just joining us in this sermon series today. Jesus, in Mark chapter one, has come into Galilee in northwest of Israel, and he's been proclaiming the gospel. That word gospel means good news. He's proclaiming the good news, and according to Jesus, what the good news is, is that the time is fulfilled, the reign of God has come near, and then he's calling people, in light of this good news, in light of the reign of God coming near, Repent, that means change the way you've been living and come and follow me. Jesus then walks along the Sea of Galilee and he calls two sets of brother, two sets of brothers, four fishermen named Simon and Andrew and James and John and he says, come follow me. So he starts to build a community. Simon, the first of those two sets of brothers, he becomes sort of the main disciple of Jesus in these stories. We hear about Simon a lot. Simon was there in the synagogue listening to the teaching of Jesus, witnessing the crowd's amazement at Jesus' teaching, listening to the crowd saying, who is this one who teaches with such authority? Simon was there when Jesus just speaks a word and a demon comes out of a man, a demon who had been oppressing a human being made in the image of God flees this man and sets him free at the word of Jesus. 
It was Simon's home where Jesus came after worship in the synagogue, and it was Simon's mother-in-law whom Jesus healed. It was Simon's house that became a hub of activity where the whole town of Capernaum gathered in the evening after the Sabbath, bringing their sick, bringing their demon-possessed so that Jesus might heal them. And the way that Mark paces the narrative in his first chapter, you'd think that all of this stuff was happening in just a day or so. Simon has gone from being a local fisherman to having um, an inside connection with the most fascinating person doing the most amazing things that Capernaum and the, those local, the local population there had ever seen. Simon went from a local working man and a family man to having his home be the center of a life-altering grace encounter for the whole town. Simon and Jesus all of a sudden are associated with celebrity and busyness and the buzz of activity. Everyone was beaten down the door of Simon to see Jesus. And there are pressures that come with the schedules and commitments and responsibilities that come with living out your purpose. Both Simon and Jesus are the center of pressure. They're the center of the demands from other people. But that's about where the similarities end with Simon and Jesus because they deal with their pressures in very different ways. And that's what we're gonna look at tonight. Here's the story. In very early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and he left the house and he went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him and they found him and they said to him, everybody's looking for you. And he said to them, hey, let's go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also for this is what I've come for. And he went into their synagogues all throughout Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. And as short as it might be, it is just so full of good news, of example, but also just good news in showing us who you are and what your character is like and how we can trust you. And I pray in these next moments, during this preaching moment, that you would open us up to who you are and who we are. And Lord, help us to draw near to you. Amen. So Jesus has called Simon and the others to follow him. And he announces the reign of God in their midst. And he is performing acts of power and he's speaking words of power that reveal the reign of God. I mean, it's, he's not just talking about this concept, but he's showing it in his words and in his deeds. And what happens next is a fascinating example of how quickly human beings are prone to take a good thing, even a calling from God, which is a very good thing, and we can turn it into something either beautiful and peaceful or something burdensome and stressful. Let, Emma's gonna put the first slide on the screen and um, we're just gonna be looking at Jesus' peace in this story kind of compared to Simon's anxiety. Simon to see, seems to be an anxious character in this story. And so Jesus has been teaching in the synagogue and he comes to Simon's house and he's healing and he's casting out demons and the whole town is coming to Simon's house for help. 
he's popular. People are hearing the message of Jesus. People are being transformed for the better. What should Jesus and his disciples do? What if Jesus was at your house and the whole town of Ferndale's coming to Frank and Nancy's house or the, the whole town of Everson's coming to the Holland's house or the whole town of Bellingham's coming to the, the Wasserman's house and Jesus is there and everybody's lining up I would probably ask Morgan to make a spreadsheet and have a registration process, right? Like that, that's what we should do. We should have a registration process so people aren't waiting too long in line and you know, you have a seven o'clock appointment with Jesus and then we would give Jesus a lunch break, right? You guys gotta rest and you know, we, we, would, we would organize the heck out of this thing. What should we do? What would we do? I, I wonder though, in fact I think, that maybe that's the wrong question to ask. Jesus' actions in the story suggest that maybe the most important thing would be to, to first discern what God the Father would have us do. And if you want guidance from God, you're going to need to periodically slip away from the center of all the activity and the busyness to gain some perspective. The text tells us that early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and he left the house and he went to a secluded place. And that's the, the second slide there, is that Jesus finds solitude. I think that that's part of the, the way that he's finding peace in the midst of this busyness and this buzz. The house Jesus was staying at um, it had become the center of activity, as, as we've said over and over again now. But even at night in that house, when all the crowds have gone home, he was still in community with the four fishermen, right? Because the other two, we'd imagine James and John are probably hanging out too. And we also learned that, you know, Peter had a mother-in-law, so she's there. And mother-in-laws usually indicate a wife, right? So she's there. And in the first century, like, people had kids pretty early, so maybe there's kids. And also, in most first century houses in that area, like people didn't have separate bedrooms and definitely didn't have a guest room. And so oftentimes, the common room is where people lay down and they sleep. And so people are making noises. Maybe kids are crying. Definitely some older people are snoring. It's not a peaceful place. This is communal living. And even in modern Western homes, you know what I'm talking about. It's easy to imagine the difficulty Jesus had at home finding true peace and solitude. Maybe you have kids, maybe you don't. But even if you don't have kids, even if you uh, live by yourself, I know when I'm home alone by myself, things call to me. There's always dishes to do. There's always laundry that needs changing. There's always something I'll think about, some maintenance thing that I'll think about. There's always something beckoning me that's distracting me from being with the Lord. And so what Jesus does is he makes space. He goes out to a secluded place by himself. And interestingly, the word used for secluded place is the same word for wilderness. Just as God communed with Israel in the Exodus in the wilderness, so Jesus seeks the perspective uh, of God by going some distance out of the busyness and into the wilderness. By the way, that doesn't mean you have to like, oh, and I have to go into the wilderness to find peace. But I'm just saying, the idea is he gets out of the, the center of activity and find some solitude. How is Jesus at peace amidst all the busyness and pressures of a thriving ministry in life? Well, he makes time for solitude. 
for pulling away temporarily to gain perspective, to recover his soul. That's hard to do. Can I be honest with you about how hard it is for me? In January, or November this year, um, I, I found out, remember that our lease here isn't being renewed. And many of you know that I'm on this kind of five-year cycle with the church where every fifth year I get a six-week little mini sabbatical. And I thought as soon as I heard that news, I'm not gonna be able to take that this coming summer in 23. And I just made up that choice in my mind and I started to talk to my pastoral care team and about the lead team and they looked at me, oh, you're taking that time off. You know, like you've just come through COVID and you know, all of this stuff and like you need that time off. But I was, I was sure, I had all the reasons in the world why this is a, not a good year to take that time off. We're gonna be in a transition building wise and oh, the church needs me to be da da da. You, you guys are all looking at me like we don't need you, dude. But anyway, you know, uh, but you know, I, I, I take on all that responsibility. It is hard, it's hard to pull away when you feel like you're at the center of the buzz and the activity. And I think I understand something like what Peter may have felt like in the midst of an exceptionally stressful and exciting season. Simon didn't take time for solitude. He started burning the candle at both ends. And I imagine him getting up early that next morning. So that first evening after the Sabbath was over, Sabbath is over in the evening at sundown. All the communities come into his house. Jesus is healing. And then finally they all go to, they, you know, they leave. If you've ever been in the Mediterranean world, you know, like people eat dinner at nine, 10 o'clock at night. Things go late, maybe two in the morning, maybe three in the morning, the people have gone home. And now the sun's coming up. Things get started a little later. I can imagine Peter's mind. Okay, today, man, okay. Um, this is what we're gonna do. It's gonna be more efficient today. Uh, people from the town, they start, they start showing up and they want their healing and Jesus is nowhere to be found. And Peter starts freaking out like he's got all the refreshments ready, right? Like I can just see it. He's probably got Andrew and James and John on crowd control. Like listen, when the people come down that street, you, you get them into a queue over here and you know, we're gonna have people off the side so we don't block the carts that need to come down to the market. And oh man, maybe this is just me. Are you with me? Like I'm thinking, okay, he's got plans. Um, and, and you can have the best intentions, right? The best theology, the right motives, excellent skills, fantastic group of people you're working with. But if you're trying to do Jesus stuff without Jesus, like it's just an empty shell. So here's Peter, he's got, or Simon, you know, he's got, um, he's gonna be called Peter later, which is why I keep doing that, but Simon, right, in the story. He's anticipating all these people coming, but they're coming for Jesus. They're coming to his house, but they're coming for Jesus, and Jesus isn't there. And so Simon and his companions go search for Jesus. Emma, let's see that one there. I put on the slide, Simon hunts for Jesus, because what's interesting to me is that in the Greek text, the verb that our English usually says, they searched for him, it's another word for hunting. It's also a term that people would use in military terms for hot pursuit of an enemy to apprehend them. Simon and his friends go hunting for Jesus. He calls them to be fishers of men, right? A little few verses earlier, now they're fishers or hunters of him. They're desperate for him, yeah. I mean, that's a healthy thing but they're likely frustrated with Jesus too. And it's easy to see why they might be frustrated. After all, it's because of Jesus that they're following him in the first place. I mean, they were just fishermen two days ago. 
called me into this mess, now at least show up, Jesus. Um, it's, it's, it's because of Jesus that crowds of people are lining up to Simon's house now. Jesus doesn't seem to be meeting their expectations. He isn't doing things according to their plans or their desires. And I sympathize with Simon in this passage, and it's always convicting when I read it, because Jesus doesn't always act like I want him to act. And I wonder if rather than anxiously hunting him down in frustration, like, what's your problem, Jesus? I wonder if we followed him into solitude, we might just understand more of what he's up to and be able to follow his lead rather than always being complaining about it. And I'm, I'm the worst offender. So Jesus goes out to a secluded place, but he isn't just taking the holiday. And he isn't just going backpacking to get alone. People today, I'm one of them, we go to great lengths to escape the stress of stressful situations. But here's a parody example that Emma's gonna put on the screen. Maybe you've seen it from uh, Saturday Night Live. Um, just about what extremes the people will go to to find a little peace and quiet. Are you feeling tired and worn down? Sick of the endless grind at work? Exhausted by your family, desperate for some peace and quiet? Daniel! Your kids want you! Then ask your doctor about COVID. By simply getting COVID, you're guaranteed a five and sometimes even 10 day vacation from all of life's problems. I needed a break just some time away from everyone. So my doctor suggested I get COVID, and it was the greatest week of my life. All I wanted was to sit on the good part of the couch and watch the Netflix I wanna watch. And I was finally able to, thanks to COVID. At first I was worried about getting COVID, but my doctor assured me it's fine now. I'm triple vaxxed, quadruple if you count HPV. So it's my time to shine. Side effects of COVID include having COVID, which is still kind of bad, but doesn't it seem different now? I definitely got sick. <laughs> I also got paid for 10 days to never leave a blanket. Plus, I got a great story I could tell people at work. It was like I had a bad cold for three days. Ooh. And of course I had to isolate from my three kids Hi. because I didn't want to get them sick. But uh, what do they eat? I gave it 14 days to be extra safe. And for an extra fee, we'll knock out the Wi-Fi near your house so you can't do any Zooms. Oh, well, too bad. <laughs> COVID is the perfect way to get out of jury duty, cousin's wedding, friend's improv show, neighbor's adult baptism, and husband's murder trial. At this point, COVID is basically a 10-day cruise, which is also a great way to get COVID. COVID isn't for everyone. That's why there's also new COVID Always Positive Home Test, the only COVID test that comes with two pink lines already drawn on. Uh, again? Uh. But you just had it a week ago. Please don't do this to me. COVID, because sometimes the only way to get mentally healthy is to get physically sick. And sure, there might be long-term memory problems, but that would honestly be amazing, because there's so much I want to forget. My brain's already really bad. If it gets 10% worse, but I don't have to talk to a single person for a week, I'll take that deal in a horse beat. You mean a heartbeat. <laughs> Either way, thanks, COVID. Thanks, COVID. Thanks, COVID. I think I'll get COVID again. Today. COVID, go ahead. You deserve a break. All right. All right, a little, little disclaimer. I don't, I don't 
I don't think COVID is a laughing matter and I don't endorse everything on that video, but I think it's a brilliant parody because it shows just how desperate a lot of us are to even think that that's funny, right? Like, um, I don't know if you, like when snow shuts down the city, I'm like, I don't mind this, you know, like, you know, uh, or sometimes you get a cold and it's like, I kind of liked that I just canceled my day and it kind of feels like I needed that. Um, And and I think that a lot of times we're just running this desperate pace where we are longing for for rest from it all, for getting off the treadmill. Um, In the story though, Jesus doesn't just pull away to get alone, right? Like he does, the point is not just to watch the Netflix shows he wants to watch because the disciples always want to watch something else, right? He pulls alone um, to be with the Father and, and to pray. And that's that, that next piece on there, Emma, is, uh, yeah, Jesus prays. Um, there is a ton, I, I encourage you to just look into it more on your own time. There's a ton of theological weight in this passage we're covering tonight because this first whole chapter of Mark deals with this tension of Jesus' very essence, right? So uh, just as a primer, on the one hand, Jesus does and says things in Mark chapter one and the whole gospel that really only God should be saying and God can do. So on the one hand, we get this picture of Jesus who is God is divine, like it's, it's amazing. No one else can do these things. On the other hand, Jesus is baptized and he is declared God's son and in this story he prays to God. So what is going on here? There's this tension between this divinity and humanity. In the, in the first chapter of Mark, we have so many of the building blocks of the fifth century council of Chalcedon which declared Jesus is at one and the same time fully divine, and fully human, two natures in one man. But this isn't the time and place to break down the Chalcedonian Confession of 451 AD. We can do that another time though if you wanna nerd out with me, but um, I let's move on with the text. The point of this is to notice that even though Jesus has the power to say and do the things of God, and even though he is in his very essence God himself, He also serves as the perfect example of how humans relate to God. You know, in John's gospel, Jesus teaches us to abide in him. It's one of the main themes in John's gospel. And that's the only real way to be faithful in life, is to remain in him. That is, to stay in relationship with God through prayer, through relationship. So Jesus temporarily leaves the busyness of life and he seeks the Father in prayer. That's the secret to his peace. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Simon is pretty far from peace because he's worried. And that's the, the next one there. Thanks, Emma. Simon's aggressive hunt for Jesus seems to be motivated by something more than just altruistic motive to help the sick and the needy at his house. It definitely isn't a motive of Like Simon is not motivated to help Jesus because when he comes upon Jesus praying in the wilderness, he doesn't like, oh, maybe we should wait till he's done. He just like, dude, where have you been? Everyone's looking for you. Everyone's looking for you and you might fill in the gap of, everyone's looking for you at my house. Everyone is wanting you to help them and they're looking at me and you're not there and they're at my house and that makes me feel. How would he feel? Powerless? Unable to help the crowd? Stupid? Right? 
Maybe the point of the text and maybe the best way that uh, that we should read it isn't by trying to guess how Simon felt. I mean, I really don't know how he felt. But but maybe to ask myself and for you to ask yourself, when I feel worried instead of seeking the Father in prayer, what what is the source of my anxiety and my fear and my worry? Is there something you're worried about even now? Something that's stressing you out? You know, in, in his humanness, Can we accept that Jesus was tired and stressed? Can we accept that maybe he sought solitude and prayed to the Father, not because he wants to give us the model of a perfect Christian? I don't think that, that, we're no Christians yet. He's Christ, right? So I think it's because he's the model of a perfect dependent, limited human being. We have to respect that Jesus is fully divine and he's fully human. And he's showing us what it looks like to be human. A healthy human is one that's dependent on God. And so that's slide six there is Jesus embraces his humility, or I'm sorry, his humanity. That's humble as well. For all of his divinity, all of his superpowers, all of the wisdom that comes with being God, Jesus also became fully human. That is Orthodox Christianity. He knows what it is to experience stress and fatigue. He knows that it, what it is to experience temptation, to feel the pressure and desires of other people placing their agendas on him. Do you know what that feeling's like? Yeah, sure you do. Trying to make Jesus in their image of what a king should be like of what a Messiah ought to be like, of what a friend ought to be like, of what a healer ought to be like, of what a teacher ought to be like, feeling the pressure of people putting what God ought to be like on Jesus. He wears all of that. He's not immune to it. And Jesus shows us that his humanity gave him limitations. In five more chapters, Jesus will learn about the execution of his cousin, John the Baptist, and he's gonna be moved with grief, and he'll say to his disciples, who were themselves exhausted after just coming back from a big mission trip, he says, come away by yourselves to a secluded place with me and rest for a while. And he writes, for there were many people coming and going, and they did not have enough time to even eat. They went away in a boat to a secluded place by themselves. This is a habit for Jesus. Then he models it to his disciples because he thinks it's probably worth teaching them that you have limitations and you're gonna have grief and you're gonna have stress and you're gonna be tired and maybe it's important to respect your humanity and to pull away. Simon, on the other hand, is stressed by the expectations of other people. He's stressed, I imagine, with the expectations on himself. Man, this guy who's healing people and casting out demons called me a lowly fisherman to be his disciple. I just wanna do it right. I wanna wanna make sure my house is ready for him. I wanna make sure everything's just right. And he's putting all these expectations and he's stressed, right? He's He's stressed with the importance of the ministry he's been called to. And that's the next slide on there is, Simon wants to be superhuman, whereas Jesus embraces his human limitations, right? 
When the going gets tough, right, the tough get going. That's, that's the motto. It's the American way. And you know, there is a lot of truth to the importance of grit and determination. I believe that. It's amazing what human beings can do, overcoming physical limitations, achieving fantastic feats of skill, productivity, ingenuity, artistry, and kindness. Human beings are amazing creatures. Living within our human limits does not mean being weak or lazy. It means accepting that the bodies and the minds and our needs and the limitations that we have, we're designed with those. It's not a mistake. It means finding peace and power in our relationship with God rather than believing we can or we should or that we ought to be able to do all things without the God who strengthens us. But just in case I've led you to believe that pulling away during a busy season is too counterintuitive or too soft or possibly lazy or too easy, notice that Jesus, his peace does not come from doing nothing. It comes from being faithful to the will of God. Emma, let's see that next one on there. Yes, faithful. The peace of Jesus is found in faithfulness to the Father's mission. You know, pulling away in regular times of prayer and silence and solitude is a way uh, of making sure that you can hear from God. It's a way of affirming that you're on the right track or that maybe he's got a different alternate, you know, alternate course for you. You know, Jesus could, in this story, he could have gone into the wilderness and he could have just heard from the Father or been affirmed in his spirit that like, you're doing the right thing. I want you to set up shop Start a hospital in Capernaum, and that's going to be the base of ministry for it all. He could have heard that. Jesus probably would have just gone and done that. But he didn't seem to hear that. In fact, the Father seems to have had other plans. And it seems that at that point in his ministry, Jesus was supposed to move on and spread the announcement of the reign of God to other places and to heal other people and to do battle against the demonic forces in other regions. See, success for Jesus wasn't robotically carrying out old orders. It was rooted in faithfulness to the Father. And that's why he maintained this vibrant and regular relationship with God. It was this relationship that would give Jesus the courage to endure hatred and betrayal and death at the hands of those that he came to save. Simon, on the other hand, Emma's gonna put up the ninth one there, Simon, on the other hand, is so focused on the mission at hand that he's gotten out ahead of Jesus. He's gotten out ahead of the master. Rather than being open to changes and plans, he took the initial mission. Okay, I see what it is. Jesus is gonna be at my house and heal all these people. That's what we're doing. And so he goes all in on that mission in his own strength, trying to organize things in his own way, governed by his own expectations. And maybe you're working yourself to the point of being overstressed and overburdened. What would it look like to make room in your life for, for a day, or a few hours? What would it look like to start to take a half an hour for yourself to find some solitude and to ask the Father, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Is this what I'm supposed to be using my life for? Am I just tired? because this is good hard work, or am I bumping into a wall because you've got something different for me? 
Is this where you still have me? Or am I doing this in my own strength and my own motives? You may not know this, but every year I go away in May for a, a five-day prayer and planning retreat. And I come up with like the sermon series and I do that kind of stuff. But I, a big part of that is asking God, is this where you have me? And the lead team every year has me sign a contract for the next year, just kind of like, what are your intentions? Yes, we, and we want you to still be our pastor. Do you still want to be our pastor? It's an important question for me to ask. Because it's tiring, right? It requires my life. And it's affirming. It's affirming in the tiredness to have a sense that God is still leading me on and saying, yeah, this is where you're supposed to be. And that gives me courage. And if you're trying to do your vocation or your stage of life without any kind of affirmation, if you're just feeling like you're spinning your wheels, I imagine that's really difficult. And I want to encourage you to find, find that time. And I can help. I'm like, if you're like, what does that even look like? Let's, let's talk outside of this moment. And I'd be happy to walk with you in that. But that's, that's an important piece of following Jesus. There are these regular touch points. The good news of this message is not advice that you're supposed to now do better at having a quiet time. That's not the good news. That's not the message I'm trying to tell you tonight. That's not what I think is in the text. What I think the text is showing us is the good news. It's the relief, really. To see Jesus, the Lord, need the time away. It gives permission for me and for you to say, it's okay that I need that. In fact, I'm probably designed for it. I don't have to feel lesser than. I don't have to feel weak or like a failure to need time away to be with God. I think that that's really good news because a lot of us are walking under a big cloud of shame, feeling like we don't ever measure up, looking at everyone else, especially other Christians, and thinking they do it better than me. They must have a closer relationship with God than me. I'm telling you what, we all struggle all the time. (laughs) Let's just normalize it. And we all need this, and Jesus gives us the example that he needs to pull away and have these touch points with God. So I love that. I think that's good news in the text. Another part of the good news is that God invites us into such a relationship in the first place. I mean, maybe we've taken that for granted because we're so used to hearing about God's love for us and all the music and all the, you know, all the preaching. I hope I say that a lot to you. But like, let's not take it for granted that the God of the universe wants to be in relationship with us, invites us into these quiet places, woos us even into these quiet places, has something to say, cares about your life, your vocation, your direction, your family life, your friendships, your place in the society, cares about all those things. That's fantastic. You're not alone. We're not just out there floating trying to make things up. I love that. And as we prepare for communion, I, I, I wanna encourage us to just come to God in a couple minutes of silence now. I'll keep the time so you don't even have to worry about that. Um, but I, I encourage us to be still and receive the presence of God in this moment. To, to maybe just imagine yourself holding up your fears and frustrations, your, doubt, your doubts and your desires. I mean, man, if we don't, if we don't take time in church, 
Like, if I'm just talking about this stuff and we don't actually do anything, like, what are we even doing? So, like, let's just take a few moments to be still before the Lord. And, um, and then we'll, we'll lead us into communion here.